put them up by four. Start a party in the garden, hit me up back door. Tell them welcome to the east where his handles abroad. We conference, nonsense, fighting LeBron. Hardwood when the Rockets hand out cars. Defense when the clock kills, no shots off. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Celtics Pulse Podcast here on the Pulse Sports Network. I'm Cody. I'm bunch joined by a bunch of hooligans, and we are here to break down the recent back-to-back. Uh, first game was Atlanta. Second game was Dallas. I have that correct? Yes. Yeah. There we go. So we're going to be breaking down the blowout win in Atlanta and a much more disappointing day in Dallas, Texas. So first off, we'll start with the good. Atlanta was a convincing win. Everyone played pretty well. Um, Key, you want to start us off there? Um, well, similar to our uh, our back-to-back with the Raptors and I want to say the Jazz, the first game was really good, showed how good this team can be when everyone's firing on all cylinders, when they're playing like a team, and when they're fully engaged in the game. Whereas our game against the Grizzlies didn't really show that as much. But I'm seeing some positive signs from the team. They seem to be getting more Gordon Hayward and Jalen Brown seem to be getting a lot more confident with their shot. Um, I, I was a bit worried. I, I know Jalen took an ugly fall, so hopefully that's nothing too serious. Hopefully he'll be back soon. Just overall, the Celtics right now, I'm not really sure what to make of them because some games they're as good as we expect. Other games, they don't look that great. I feel like the potential is still there. They just need to find a way to do it consistently. But I'm just not sure what to think at this point anymore, to be quite honest. Well, do you feel like the issues come from specific players or just kind of everyone buying into the system and doing what their specific role is supposed to do? I don't know, because 20 games into the season, you'd think a lot of the usual chemistry issues would at least be mostly done. You certainly wouldn't expect a team this talented to be at a 500 record. I'm thinking there might be something going on behind the scenes we don't know about. Someone's causing problems, but I don't want to name names because it could really be anyone. It could easily be Terry Rozier because we all know that he, or at least allegedly he wants a trade. Could be Jason Tatum. Maybe he got a big head after last season. For all we know, it might be Kyrie Irving, which would explain why if there is a cancer in the locker room, he hasn't been traded because Kyrie's probably untouchable or untradeable. That being said, that's a possibility. I don't know anymore what the problem is. I do think that effort is one thing. We saw it in Atlanta, but not as much in Memphis, at least, well, we saw some from some players like Jalen Brown was definitely trying against Memphis. So I think it's just a matter of getting everyone on the same page, really. Hopefully that's the only problem, and I hope they resolve that soon because it's starting to get pretty deep into the season, and it's not good. It's not a good signs what we're seeing so far. But I'm optimistic that we'll figure it out more than I was a couple weeks ago. Admittedly, I'm just wondering how good we really can be. Yeah, the one thing about Atlanta and the one thing – obviously the first quarter was a, was a 45-point first quarter, which was huge, huge. And I think a lot of that was it was everyone was playing well. Everyone was getting shots. If you look at the box score from the game in Atlanta, no player had over 16 points. 
but every starter or and most players had over seven. So everyone was scoring, everyone was getting involved, no one played over 25 minutes. But if you look in the first quarter, we had 45. We had 16 in the second and then 21 points in the third. So the team went off to a good start, which I think helped them. And then obviously playing Atlanta, which isn't the best of teams. They're 3-16 and 16 as of right now. They're not it – was, it was a win that we should have won. And we played much like we, when we beat Chicago. We beat a team that we should have beat out of the gym. And we beat that team out of the gym. We played this team like they were an inferior team. Then you swing over to Dallas, who we played two nights ago on Saturday, and it's a whole different story. Um, a big reason watching that game, I think Terry Rogier's really killing the offense because he knows what he can be. He knows how talented he is. But every time he touches the ball, he has to shoot the ball, it seems. And obviously Gordon not being there hurt a little bit. But it was just an entirely different team, it looked like. And like you said, the effort levels. In Atlanta, everyone was getting involved. Everyone was taking shots. Everyone was doing their part. And then in the second game, we're now sitting at 500 after this uh, Dallas game. It just looked like, obviously the stats are there. People, Players are putting up points and the rebounds. It just, it's just that extra effort, the extra umph. We just don't see it. We haven't seen it at all this year. And going back to that Atlanta game, and uh, there were four players that had 11 field goals attempted. You had Jason Tatum, Kyrie Irving, Terry Rozier, and then Semi Ojale. And I just, I just cannot, I don't see a reason why Ojale should take 11 shots. I think we all like him, you know. He's a hardworking player, but 11 shots for Semi Ojale, who's, you know, an end of the bench guy, is just kind of unacceptable. And I think everyone would just be happier if, like, five of those shots went to Kyrie and Tatum. Yeah, yeah, I see that. I, I think yeah, there were fair. open shots at least, and I'm happy he's taking them, but it's just more of a sign of a stagnant offense that our last shot is coming down to Semi Ojale, who at least is open, like I said, but just the ball needs to be moving better and there needs to be more of an offensive flow. Um, like you're saying with the heart and intensity, it hasn't even felt like Celtics games really this year, minus a couple, I feel like. When there's a 50-50 ball, I want to be able to confidently say that we're pretty likely going to come out with that, but it's almost like we're playing cocky since we know the talent we have and our expectations, which it should be the opposite. So hopefully they come back down to earth a little in regards to just having a big head. And yeah, I mean, we talked about this a little bit right before we started. We have an easy schedule coming up. It's been an easy schedule for the last five games and we dropped four of them. So there's really no excuses. Yeah, I think a big part of it, like you said, that those expectations where coming into the season, everyone was like, it's the Celtics and everyone else in the East. Um, before the Kawhi trade happened, on paper, this even right now, this team is the best team, you know, other than Toronto, on paper right now. And with LeBron gone, with no really true successor to the East other than the Celtics, it seems like the Celtics are like, oh, well, we can just do this. There's n- there was no challenge. In their mind, at least in the beginning of the season, there was no challenge. Now the challenge is themselves. Like I said, um, I've been stressing this over the past 
a few podcasts, finding roles and readapting to older roles. Like we mentioned, with Kyrie gone for a good chunk of last year and Gordon gone for the entire year, a lot of these younger players, Jalen, Jason, had to step into these second, third option roles. Now they are third and fourth options, fourth and fifth options, third and fifth options. And it's different. And like I mentioned, uh, I think two podcasts ago, Jalen Brown is shooting the same amount of shots on 15 last touches a game. So what that says is every time he touches the ball, in his mind, he has to score. Because last year, that's what he was asked to do, put the ball in the basket. And it's it's... It's getting there. You can see Jason, uh, Jalen rather, starting to really get into that role and just be that defensive stopper he was year one. And then you can see Jason Tatum be more efficient now, and he's starting to hit his shots more. And you even see um, Gordon on the bench now, which I think is a good move to keep Gordon on the bench for at least a little bit. Um, and it's worked out pretty well his last few games. He's been more aggressive. He's been the Gordon Hayward we expected to get at least uh, more, more looking more like it uh prior um compared to prior in the year so these they're starting to really get it i think offensively it's just gelling it all together i think is just that last step yeah i I feel like there's individual games where each guy comes out and plays well especially recently there's uh the new york game like you said hayward finally played well and hopefully he can keep that up. And then Dallas kind of felt like Jalen's game almost break out. Like he was getting to the rim a lot. He was just doing what he was supposed to. But it seems like they can't all do it on the same night. Uh, Kyrie seems consistent. And so does Marcus Morris for the most part. Besides that, everybody else is kind of, you don't know if they're going to show up. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've been stressing it all year that the only two players that have played well the entire year um, other than Kyrie's first week, Kyrie and Marcus Morris are the only two players where I can know consistently I'm going to get this production out of these two players. Uh, Marcus, Smart had a, uh, Marcus Smart had a good game against Dallas as well, dropping in 20. But I think this team needs a, a good old-fashioned we're playing like Sissy's talk. I really want a player like Marcus Smart, a player like Marcus Morris, or even a player like Kyrie. To in the locker room after maybe a, doubt, a loss like Dallas or one of those earlier losses like New York, to just start yelling and forcing these players to step up. You know, going to each individual player and saying, you need to step up. You're getting paid this amount of money. You're playing in Boston. You have to play this way. And just a whole – and I don't even care if there's a fight. If there's a little fight, I just think that's more of a momentum shift for the Celtics to really just look at the paper and look, look. This is the NBA. This isn't 2K where you just put a bunch of 90s on a team, simulate the season, and you end up in the finals. This is a professional league where every single player in this league is fighting for a common goal, which is an NBA championship. And when one team isn't really fighting for that, then that's when the other teams who are fighting for it come out on top when they really shouldn't be. I need something like that to happen. I think that will really wake up this team. Yeah. Well, first, maybe the fight would help. We saw that in Chicago last year, and that seemed to help them for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but in all seriousness, uh, we did have that. Remember a few weeks ago, Marcus Smart gave that same thing? I think we ended up beating Toronto the next game. Uh, yeah, I, I, heard, I know about that, but I don't, I, I don't think it was at the magnitude. I don't think he was, like, yelling, yelling. I want, like, 
an all-out like you holding every single player accountable, going by player to player and saying what they're doing wrong, what they're doing good, and like, like, okay, a fight might be a little bit too much, but like back in the eighties when Larry Bird said we're all playing like sissies and called out the entire team, that rejuvenated that team and they went up, I think, winning the finals that year, if I'm not mistaken. So I needed a, something like that. I know about the Marcus Smart thing, but I don't think it really resonated the way it should have. Um, one thing I definitely want to see less of, it's something that has, uh, I'll get into it, but basically I want to see Gordon Hayward and Jalen Brown play less time with each other as little as possible because there mm-hmm. are actually statistics out there. I don't remember exactly what they were. But the statistics basically show that both players are better when the other is off the court. So it's not like they drag they drag each other down for some reason. It's not that they're both bad players. It's just that their play styles, I guess, do not mesh well. So keeping them off the court when the other is on, I think, is the best way to maximize what they're capable of. Yeah, and Gordon's been pretty good off the bench so far. And what I've really liked from him is his playmaking abilities off the bench. Because, I mean, you know, Smart's a solid playmaker, and Rozier's, well, he hasn't been that great this year. <clears throat> but with Gordon Hayward off the bench, it really just provides that extra guy off the bench that I think can just make our bench maybe the second best in the league or something like that. Yeah, I think yeah, Gordon's, Gordon's playmaking has definitely stood out. Um, hopefully his shooting comes around a little, even though I feel like he almost has been one of our best shooters, even though percentages definitely do not show that. So maybe I'm just a little crazy, but I think he's slowly starting to come around and looks a little better each game and is getting some confidence. So that'll be really good for him. And we kind of need someone to really show up as that number two clear cut option behind Kyrie. And I've, I've heard a lot of people saying that they think that Brad Stevens doesn't know how to manage all this talent and there's just too much too much talent around him to know what he's doing. And maybe that's true because he hasn't had this, obviously, but I don't think that it's anything that he can't work out if that is a problem. But do you guys think that that maybe is what it is a little? Um, I do think it's definitely possible that Maybe at the moment he's not sure of how to handle all of it. He's never had this much talent, not even in back in his college days. So I do think there's a possibility there's a learning curve to him getting used to having this much talent and finding a way to maximize every player because a lot of people are starting to question Brett Stevens as a coach because he's not doing well with this loaded team. But we've seen what he does with teams that aren't nearly as talented. We've seen what he did with the Isaiah Thomas Celtics two years in a row. Exceeding expectations, one year getting us the one seed, turning Isaiah Thomas into an MVP candidate. Whether or not Isaiah Thomas is really good elsewhere, we have yet to see, at least not since his injury. I'm hoping he does end up playing well, but then there's Jay Crowder, who has not been nearly as good as he was when he was in Boston. Same with Avery Bradley. It's quite obvious that there are a lot of players that he makes better in the system. He's never had a ready-made star to coach, except for Kyrie Irving last year. But that was pretty easy because he was the one star. Then you have Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Terry Rozier, all players that people aren't expecting much from, and they end up playing really well. Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, after Kyrie Irving went down, they had numbers that could have had them possibly be all-stars. So the idea that maybe Brad Stevens is biting off more than he can chew at the moment 
I think that's definitely a possibility, and maybe he just needs to kind of get it together. Will he figure it out? I believe he will. He's a really great coach. He's a really smart individual. He managed to make having less talent work. So I think it's just a matter of getting used to managing all the talent he has. Yeah, I think it also goes in managing egos as well and keeping everybody engaged. I mean, with this team, like you mentioned, with how much talent on this team, every player really needs to get involved. Where in the years prior, you could, you know, sacrifice a player like uh, shots from like a player that didn't, I'm like Amir Johnson who was in the starting lineup for a good amount. He doesn't have to shoot. He just has to set screens. But a player who's playing power forward right now, Jason Tatum, he's someone that a good portion of the time you want to run your offense through. And each of these players, and I feel like the only player that's fine with not taking shots is Al. God bless his heart. Um, but all these players really need their shots. You know, a lot – like Tatum's a, an isolation scorer for the most part. So is um, Kyrie – who they do their best work, you know, in that isolation type or two-man pick-and-roll game, um, which they haven't really been running a lot of. I would assume that, especially when times are struggling, just run Al Horford pick-and-rolls, which probably should help, which hopefully they go to um, in the future. Um, but a lot of these players really need their shots to really get going. And last year that was okay when you had three players taking the majority of the shots, which – you can see that, but when four or five players need a good amount of shots, that's when things start getting um, really tight offensively and slow down and bogged down. Okay, so you know I'll wait until we transition into the next game before we go too deep into it, but I've just gotten a notification that says Jalen Browns will not be playing against the Pelicans tonight. Yep, I saw that as well. Who do you All think right. takes the start? Marcus? Either Marcus or, well, it could be either Marcus, to be honest. We could end up sliding. Actually, no, it'll it'll probably be smart. It'll probably be smart. Well, it depends because they're playing the Pelicans tonight. And Pelicans obviously have Davis at center, and they like to run either Randall or Miritich there. I think Marcus Morris starts, and they just move. Um, they just bump everybody else up. So, like, Gordon will play the two. Or, I don't know, Gordon probably might start now. Because Gordon's been coming off the bench, and he didn't play, obviously, on the back-to-back in Dallas. So he's probably rested enough that he's going to play in uh, New Orleans. And they don't really have that great wings, so it's not like you have to like put a great defender out there all the time, too. So I think that will be a good game for Gordon as well. Well, I also saw that Anthony Davis is currently listed as questionable. The Pelicans are 0-4 without Anthony Davis. So if Anthony Davis misses tonight's game, which – we honestly can't tell yet. That could actually be another easy win. But if Anthony Davis is out there, it'll be a very tough game for us to win. Mm-hmm. What needs to happen differently in New Orleans, do you think, for us to get those wins? Let's say, assuming AD's playing. Well, personally, you cannot run Al Horford at center against Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis will eat Al Horford alive. That being said... I would much prefer to see them start Aaron Baines because Aaron Baines tends to do a lot better against the dominant bigs in the league like Embiid and Drummond. So he should be able to do fine against Anthony Davis. Yeah. I know we talked a lot about Jalen attacking the basket. I know Jalen's not playing this game, but I don't 
want to attack the basket too much, especially if Anthony Davis ends up blocking everybody, which because that was one thing that I've noticed that I don't like as much about Jalen Brown this year is that he will constantly try to attack the basket against rim protectors. He'll never take it up against someone who probably can't protect the rim. But whenever it's someone like Rudy Gobert, he's, he tries to rush into the rush in and slash to the hoop, which I respect the aggressiveness and I respect the confidence, but you don't, when Anthony Davis is lurking in the paint or Rudy Gobert or Draymond Green, you're rushing to the rim probably isn't your best offensive option. Yeah, that was, yeah that's part of Jalen. Like I said, just trying every time he catches the ball, he has to do something with it. So I think that's a big reason. And you see it lately. He is getting to the rim still, but he's been, a lot better picking and choosing his spots on that. Yeah, I mean, he's also not been getting all too many minutes, so I'm sure he feels like he needs to prove himself and capitalize in those minutes he has been getting. We've seen Marcus Morris closing out games over him. Mm-hmm. He just, has, just hasn't played well. I mean, I remember me, uh, Derek, Adam, and I on two podcasts ago, we were talking about um, if you were to bench one of the two, Jalen or Gordon, who would you bench really if you want to do like a six-man, seventh-man role with the, one of those two because they really haven't at that time hadn't been playing well. And I said Gordon because you don't want to kill the confidence and kill the, the non-existent confidence basically Jalen Brown had coming into the season and how much he struggled. Um, but he hasn't been closing out games, and that's been something we've seen his entire year. Marcus Smart's usually out there in crunch time minutes. Morris has been playing – uh, over Jalen Brown now as well. Um, I think it'll just like I said. I think Jalen, it's more like a time to come thing. Yeah, I One thing I want to actually bring up about back to the Pelicans game. Uh, I'd actually rather see Marcus Smart start at shooting guard rather than uh, Gordon Hayward play there, considering they have True Holiday, and I would just feel just way more comfortable with Smart matched up against. Well, I think they're going to put Drew on Kyrie either way. Well, I mean, when they're on offense, we could uh, we could match up smart on Drew. Yeah, okay, yeah. No, that makes more sense, yeah. And then you would, of course, have Jason Tatum at the three. At least either him or Gordon Hayward. Personally, I'd rather keep Gordon Hayward off the bench. Don't mess yeah. with that. Yeah, I agree. Have Jalen, Jason at the three, then Horford at the four, and Aaron Baines at the five. That's the starting lineup I'd like to see. Yeah, it's a pretty good starting lineup. Yeah. I'd download it. Yeah, and hopefully you can actually get some intensity from those guys. Um, But so far this year, I mean, the struggling thing is that we have some really good wins. Like, we beat Milwaukee in in their home, and we beat Toronto in the same place. Or, I'm sorry, that was in both of those. My fault. We're in Boston. But... Those are really good wins against some of the top teams, and we seem to show up. So I don't feel like there's all too much concern, but I think everything's going to slowly piece together. And like you said, the guys just kind of have to figure out their roles. And the one that I see maybe doesn't like his role in the end is Terry Rozier because... Like we said, he's a little more of a scorer, and he seems like he needs to get into a bit of a rhythm. He likes to chuck up shots because he's not getting all too many minutes, and it's not like he's a great passer to really help with that anyways. So do you think it... Before, at the beginning of the year, I was really against trading Terry because I thought he would be pretty vital for this championship run this year. But at this point, it almost... 
I'm leaning more towards maybe we move them so we don't lose them for nothing. No, actually, that's my same exact thinking. Uh, before the season started, I was adamant. Don't trade Terry. I get it. We're, he's going to leave anyway. I do not see Terry in a Boston uniform um, after twenty this uh, the end of the beginning of 2019. Next year, he's going to be on a different team no matter what happens. I was very adamant on how he played last year, sort of Kyrie insurance, um, and how well he played and off the bench, and I think that was more valuable in June other than like two second-round picks or a protected first down the road. Now you can see that really of the players that have struggled in the beginning of the season, which was most of them, Jalen's starting to figure it out. Tatum's starting to figure it out. Gordon started to figure it out. Kyrie figured it out. Kerry just hasn't. And especially if that second unit's going to be run by Gordon in the in the foreseeable future and Marcus Smart and Marcus Morris, you really can't afford a player like Terry Rozier to come in and just kill a drive taking a contested jumper 17 seconds into the shot clock. Um, I think you trade him for a uh, big who can rebound, something that this team really, really needs. Other than Aaron Baines, is not really a good big man rebounder. Um, Rozier's a good rebounder for his position. Tatum's a good rebounder for his position. Um, Gordon can get a few boards, but those are more uncontested, just, you know, boards that they swoop in and get, other than, like, Aaron Baines, who is a muscle board kind of guy. And especially if you're not going to play Robert Williams a lot, I think you trade Terry for a player that can come in and get rebounds. Maybe. The one problem I have with trading Rozier is that we don't really have another guard off the bench. We have Smart and then like Brad Wanamaker, and that's the only guards off the bench for us. And that's that's kind of my issue with trading Rozier. We'd have to get back a, a decent backup guard. I was actually about to say the same thing, where I had a few problems with trading Terry. One is what we would get in return, because the team we're mostly tied to in regards to Terry Rozier is the Phoenix Suns, and... There really aren't many players on that team or many packages on that team that interest me. They look like they're going to be another lottery team again. I don't think they're going to part with many picks. And they're also the only players on that team that would be obtainable because I assume Aiden and Booker are completely untouchable and Rozier would not be enough for them, would be that I'd really like to somehow get McCall Bridges, but I don't think they're going to get – they're going to trade McCall Bridges. They traded it. I don't think they're trading McCall Bridges either. So mm-hmm. there's not really much I can see from the Suns that I would like from a team like maybe the Magic who need a point guard. Maybe they're looking to trade Nikola Vucevic, but then the problem is salaries. We He'd be the good rebounding big we need, bring good offense for us, but not only would we need to somehow make salaries work, then we'd also need to worry about replacing Rozier as a point guard on the team. And in that scenario, we likely would have traded Marcus Smart too to match salaries, or maybe we do that Gordon Hayward trade. Some people are saying we should do. I don't think we should, but essentially we need a player with a big money to make that trade work. Now here's an idea. Want to resign him? Here's an idea. Um, do the Celtics potentially go after Dwight Howard? And listen to me on this one. Listen to me on this one. The the Wizards are a, a fucking mess right now. We all know that. Most likely, Bradley Beal is going to be gone by the end of the year. And if they can find a partner with John Wall, they can do get rid of John Wall. If you get rid of those players, 
and the Celtics come at your door saying, hey, we can give you the point guard of your future for a, probably like a top 10 protected first-round pick in Dwight Howard, who's on a veteran minimum and had his own share of drama this year, which is most likely fake, but that's still drama nonetheless. The Celtics get their rebounding big they need, a rim protector that they do not have on a minimum salary. I don't know. Kind of sounds good to me. Yeah, I mean, I like the idea of Dwight. Um, Like they're saying, maybe we would be missing another guard, but we do have other ball handlers, and people like Smart Hayward showed that he can do it. You could even run, say, Al doing some more of the ball handling in the second unit. But just in regards to getting another big, I really like Dwight. Um, I also think for the last couple years, even regardless of what, he's been kind of known for and got hated on. I feel like he's been good in the locker room the last couple places that he's been, and he's a good influence, and it's exactly who we would like Robert Williams to be. So that's another big plus, and I think that he could give us some good minutes. Like you're saying, he's a great rebounder and can still be a rim protector and defensive presence for us. So I could see it. I'm more just worried about the locker room rumors at that point because we know that... He's a great player. He still ha- he can still contribute to a playoff team. There's no question about it. But I know you said that in the last few places he w- probably wasn't as bad, which is it's possible, but we still hear a lot about how we still heard about how players like in Charlotte were apparently ecstatic when he got traded, which had to hurt for him honestly. That's that's tough. But it's just a very I don't know about Dwight. I I like Dwight as a player, but I'm not sure he's what we need in Boston right now. I just feel like right now he's at, especially with this whole allegation stuff, if this gets cleared and he's okay and nothing really happened, which a lot of people believe he is, um, then cool. He's just, it's just Dwight Howard. Um, If these allegations are true though, and I don't think he gets another job in the NBA if the threats and the death threats and the hush money is actually true. But that's to be decided. We still haven't heard anything but Dwight on that touch subject. Uh, me and Tim touched up on that last night. But I just think from a standpoint of you really need a you really need a rebounder. Dwight is at the end of his career basically because of all this shit. If you get put on potentially the best team in the East I think he just shuts up and plays. Because in Orlando, that's when he was, you know, the Dwight Mayor. That happened in Los Angeles. In Houston, nothing really happened until they started, like, getting knocked out in the first round. And then he played for Atlanta, which was not really a good team. Charlotte, which didn't make the playoffs. And now he's playing for Washington. Other than Houston, he really hasn't played on... And obviously his days when he went to the finals of the Magic. But after he left the Magic, um, the Lakers weren't really a good team. They were a seventh seed that year, I believe. And then he played for three playoffless teams back to back to back. So I think if, especially with all this, this would be a fresh start for Dwight in a team, a place where he can contribute. Um, he might even get, if they decide to keep Hayward off the bench, they can move out the power forward, start Dwight, have Baines off the bench, depending on matchups and whatnot. Um, Tatum at the three, Brown at the two, Kyrie at the one. Um, I think it's, I just think that if he just wants all of this negative stigma and everything that's happening right now to bamoose, 
get going, get gone, he will shut up and play in Boston for a, a team that has a legitimate shot of winning an NBA championship if they figure out all their stuff that we've been talking about the last three weeks. And like um, Brendan said, you have Marcus Smart off the bench to handle the ball. That's what he did with that's what he did a lot in his career. He was a point guard coming in. I mean, he can handle the ball, and he's actually a better playmaker than Rozier. Um, Al has time holding, uh, handling the ball. Gordon, if he plays off the second unit, has you don't need a true point guard to handle the ball and be a distributor. And I think Celtics have enough of that um, guard forward ball handlers to make up for Terry, who really, in reality, is more of a scorer and less of a playmaker than even Gordon and. Marcus Smart has. Maybe it might be an improvement. Well, on the on that note, I do think that maybe we don't need him as like a primary ball handler or as one of our leaders off the bench. But we do need a guard in the event that Kyrie Irving goes down. Because yeah, you could slot Marcus Smart into that role, but then who's gonna cover for Marcus Smart? Brad Wanamaker? I'm not sure I'm comfortable with that. That being said, the buyout market is still a viable option for us when it comes to filling in the slots we need. So that's always an option. Overall, I think there's there's a possibility that Danny's just waiting for his moment to trade Terry Rozier, maybe waiting for his stock to rise up a bit. Maybe he's just waiting for the right moment. I don't know, but I know that right now trading Rozier is a bit of a is some risky business. Yeah, I mean, like, it's, it's just an idea. It's just a kick around. I just thought of it, like, right now, and I thought it sounded pretty good. I mean, in reality, when we come to the playoffs, we're only going to run nine-man lineups. So a lot of players are going to be playing extensive minutes, and you don't really need that player to, you know, a backup for every player because a lot of players are going to be overlapping, and there's going to be a starter in the lineup at all times. Um it's just an idea. I mean, I think it might be because I love Dwight Howard. Dwight Howard's been one of my favorite players for a long time. And there were remember back in the day when those rumors when he was trying to get traded traded to Boston, and I got all excited. I don't know. It's just a rumor. Like I said, the if you take away a player that right now for my money is not the worst player on the Celtics, but is playing the worst on the Celtics is Terry. I think of everybody. Terry still hasn't figured it out. Take that off, throw it out the window. He had the tweet, which I didn't really think much of it, but a lot of people might have. A lot of people did. And you insert a player that can come contribute right now. I like the idea of it. Yeah, and I mean, Kyrie was even talking about how they wanted like a 14, or he was thinking that if they had a 14, 15-year vet to really tell them it's a long season, take it slow and that type of thing, Dwight fits that. Uh, like we said, we don't know about his locker room stuff, but the guy that I really like in Phoenix, which I don't exactly know how salaries would work this, I really like Trevor Ariza. And I feel Mm -hmm. like he also brings a little bit more of that uh, grit and kind of hustle to the team. And he's still that veteran. I I feel like adding another wing like that, he's almost just a better semi-Ogele for this year. Yeah, I'd be pretty happy with Ariza, but he's also making $15 million dollars. However, he could be on the buyout market, which is, I guess, something to look out. Yeah, that's definitely a player I'd like to acquire if he's bought out. For trades, I don't know. I feel like we'd have to give up Marcus Smart to make salaries work, and I don't know if I want to give up Smart for Ariza. 
Yeah, no, definitely if we get Ariza, that would be a buyout thing. Because they already were talking about a potential buyout. Um, uh, I forgot when it was, but like a couple of we- like a week or two ago, they were already talking about potential fits for a buyout. Because they're three and like 29 yeah. right now. The Suns are bad. Um, so they really don't need that. And I was like really concerned um, when um, – not concerned, but surprised when he went to Phoenix. I was like, "Really? You go to Phoenix?" Yeah, like, I was that's, surprised. That's gonna be a, that's gonna be a buyout thing. Money, money. Yeah, he made his money. I can't blame him for that. Actually, no. Thinking about it, I think he's playing for the buyout because you signed a one-year, fifteen million dollar contract to go to a bad team. Because the other good teams, they can't afford fifteen million dollar contracts, and Trevor Reese is definitely worth more than that. So if the buyout happens, I don't know exactly how much of the 15, whether it be the full 15 or around 10 or whatever, and then you sign a one-year veteran min, min to a contending team, that's smart. That's Trevor Ariza going to financial school. <laughs> He's hey, got to give his agent some of that money. If it works, <laughs> it works. I feel like my third eye just opened with that one. Right? Holy hell. I saw a lot of rumors <laughs> saying he'd go back to Houston. That's especially yeah, how bad be... they're playing without him. Oh, that's a very especially good on defense. Yeah. Oh, let's turn into a Trevor Ariza podcast. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think, like I mentioned, this, I, the Celtics just need. I think the big and the consensus big thing they really need is a rebounder, and I think Dwight Howard fits the bill. Um, obviously, there might be other players on the buyout market. Um, Tyson Chandler would have been cool. Yeah, but obviously. Now, um, Joakim Noah, I guess, is starting to, is going to sign a contract with the Grizzlies, but I don't really know how really good Joakim Noah is. I don't really think I want yeah, him. Yeah, he hasn't he hasn't played yeah, in a couple let's, of years. Let's not mention that name ever again. <laughs> yeah, just throwing things out. But other than that, I really don't know exactly what big men are available. Um, there's like I, a, I, there's a Rashawn really Holmes. Oh yeah, that guy doesn't he like shoot threes now? And I can't take that. I can't take that. Yeah, I've been getting might. so pissed off with Aaron Baines and his threes. I can't have another one of those. Oh, Baines chucks so many threes. I cannot stand it. Have you seen his shooting form? It looks like a fifth grader. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's Aaron horrible. Baines, every time he throws the ball up, I'm like, bro. He looks well, more I mean, confident than anyone else. Year, so I can't really blame him for sticking to that form. It worked I mean, for him last year. So to be fair, he is shooting like 38 percent on threes and taking like five a game, which is pretty good. But still, like he's becoming Amir Johnson. Yeah, and I don't like. I I can't stand them when they're early in the shot clock. Yeah, like I'm not. I'm not against Aaron Bain shooting threes, but I feel like every time I do actually like see him take a three and I, it registers, it's like with 18 seconds left in the shot clock, yeah. and they're <laughs> down by like nine, and I'm like, Baines, what are you yeah. doing? And then he hits mm-hmm. it. So yeah, sometimes I'm like, all right, dope, okay, yeah. just don't do that ever again. Speaking of threes. Basically, basically me with Marcus Morris in mid-range. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, last year he felt like a big ball stopper, and now I'm like, dude, get Marcus Morris the ball and get out of the way. Yeah, I have such a love-hate relationship with Marcus Morris because last year he's taking all these shots, and I'm like, no. And then, like, a good chunk of them go in, and I'm like, what's going on here? Yeah, Brad Stevens was hyped to acquire him. He's like, yeah, every time we had a game plan against this guy, I didn't know what to do. Yeah. 
Um, speaking of shooting, though, I, I really liked Marcus's threes this year. I feel like they all look like they have a good chance of going in compared to some really bad bricks you would see sometimes last year. And he looks really confident. He's looking at the rim the second he gets the ball and doesn't hesitate to let it go. And it's looked pretty good this year. To be fair, he's never hesitated. He's always been yeah. confident in his three. Yeah, last night he went three for four from three against Dallas. But then he went 0 for 3 in Atlanta, 0 for 2 against the Knicks, and right now he's shooting 31% from 3. I've never – I love Marcus Smart. He's been, he was my favorite player when he was in Oklahoma State, and I was excited when the Celtics got him. But I, me and my friends, I, every – talk basketball. The one thing, every time Marcus Smart touches the ball – uh, we're like, there should be a clause in his contract where he gets $500 for every time he doesn't shoot. <laughs> <laughs> I love Marcus. And there's always that that meme going around, Marcus shoot makes the first three of the game. Is it a good thing or a bad thing? <laughs> I think he'd still shoot him. He will shoot him. He'll go oh, over yeah. nine and still shoot him. <laughs> My thing with Smart is he's the most frustrating player, not just because he shoots threes, but it's because – He's capable of making them. There have been several games where he'll look like he cannot miss. I remember specifically the one game we took off Cleveland back in the, I want to say, 2017 playoffs, where he was like, what, like 8 for 9, 8 for 10 from 3? He was killing it that game. So it's not that he can't shoot threes. It's just that he cannot – I don't even know what it is because some nights he's great, some nights he's bad. And hopefully his – his improvement and his more confidence results in him being a more reliable three-point shooter. I think it's a case of there are three-point shooters and players who shoot threes. And I think Marcus Smart is more of a player who shoots threes. Because like, like last game uh, against Dallas, I have his stats up right here. Um, he went three for four from downtown at 20 points, five for eight total. And then you look at um, a game like against the Trailblazers. He had zero points, 0 for 3, 0 for 1. And then a game in Utah, at Utah, when he got bodied by Utah at their place, he shot 4 for 9 from the field. All were three-pointers. <laughs> so, like, this guy is either hot or he's, like, okay, at Charlotte. When he played at Charlotte and lost when Kem Walker went off. He went 4 from 7 for the game. Four from six for three. 14 points. Good game. Against the Knicks, two points. 0 for two from three. One for four from the field. Against the Hawks, four points. 0 for three from three. One for six. And then a game in Dallas, three for four and five for eight. So he has these games where he'll go off. He have three or four games where he does not do a damn thing defensively. Offensively, rather. And then he'll go off again. And then those games where he goes off, he's like, wow, I'm a really good scorer. And that's when he has those games where he does nothing. Marcus Smart's just a very it's – a very, he's a very odd player. He might actually have above – he might actually have at least 30% field goal percentage in three this year. Which I'm pretty sure he has not yet done in his career. I just wish that he'd use that – he has such a strong build to him. He could easily dominate the paint against other point guards in the league, and I don't understand why he doesn't try doing that as often. I understand maybe with the whole 
you don't want guys like Rudy Gobert blocking your shots, but that's why you have guys like Al Horford. They draw them out of the paint because they've got to defend the three. Yeah, no, Marcus has been known and has, you know, obviously not as much as we'd love to see, but he can bully people in the paint. And he really does bully. He does, when he does get matched up with a guard down there, he just uses his brute strength, push people back. And that's what I want to see him do more of. When he's shooting more threes than he is doing that, that's a problem. Actually, if we're, I actually have Marcus Smart's stats up on uh, Basketball Reference. His two points attempted per game versus three points attempted per game for his career are a lot more different than for a player like him. He in his first year he he shot three twos a game and he shot four threes a game, <laughs> and then he he shot four threes or more a game every year except for this year. But he's getting also a bunch of less minutes. His two, he's shooting three two three pointers a game and only two two pointers a game. So he really is loves the threes, but he's shooting twenty nine percent for his career there. What are you doing, Marcus? What are you doing, Marcus? <laughs> yeah, I, I I just I love Marcus, but he's got to chill out with the threes. I want to see him playing more bully ball in the paint. That's what I want to see him do. Hell, do it against the center. We see how well he actually does against bigger players. Well, I think that might be wrapping up. Does anyone want to put another point out there before we end it? If the Celtics go sub-500, I might cry myself to sleep. Yeah, I mean, important game day in New Orleans. Mason, any last words? No. Brendan? Just been tough being a Celtics man. Celtics fan, man. Uh, well, I guess yeah. Yeah, that really sums it up here. But, hey, after we win tonight in New Orleans, we will see you guys after a healthy win streak. How about that? How about Please. that? Here's that go. I'd be okay with that. All right. Well, anyway, thank you guys for listening to the Celtics Pulse podcast here on the Pulse Podcast Network. Uh, check us out on iTunes, Spotify, on our own website at PulseSports.com, a plethora of other Pull, uh, sports uh, and different podcasts all in this Pulse Sports Network. So make sure to check everybody out. Check up all the podcasts. Two to three Celtics Pulse podcasts coming your way every week. It's been Cody, and have a wonderful day, everybody.